the newspaper for the little small town reached all his relatives and their friends. I called him one Monday and asked him how his weekend had gone. He said it was a long weekend. He said, Thursday, I was out on the country road and the, the uh, state police stopped me and gave me a ticket. And he said, uh, I didn't want my parents to find out. <laughs> so I knew that they published all the tickets in the local newspaper for Sunday morning newspaper. Got it? So he said, I had to get up early Sunday morning and push my truck quietly, real early, out of the driveway of the farm ranch house, down the road, and then started up. And he said, I had to go to all my relatives and friends of my parents and steal their newspaper out of their driveway in these country houses. And he said, <laughs> by that time I was laughing, and he said, it didn't work. He said, I thought it would work until... My parents and I, after church, went over to my grandparents' house for lunch. And my grandparents said, you know, a funny thing. Our newspaper guy never misses bringing us a newspaper. And there was no newspaper in our driveway this morning. To which my parents said, you know what? We didn't get a newspaper either. And he said later that day, some neighbor called and said, did you get a newspaper? And pretty soon it was a story in and of itself. And so they all knew somebody had to find out what's in the newspaper that... <laughs> They didn't get it, and of course it was his ticket. It's a humorous story, kind of innocuous. It makes us laugh as parents, and also thinking about some things we pulled when we were kids. But in, in some way, we have all tried to hide like Adam and Eve, or like Judas, or like my friend, more than once, hide our sins from other people because we didn't want to get into trouble or shame with them. What's also true is that we transfer that behavior in our, in our sinful heart, in our darkened heart, to our relationship with God, as if we could hide. But Judas, master and friend, was a human being and God at the same time which is something Judas didn't really believe. And he thought he could deceive Jesus. And yet Jesus knew all along what he was up to. So I'll revisit the story and just read the part that we're looking at tonight. It's on page 8 of your folder. be on the screen. When evening came, there it's Thursday night of Holy Week. Okay? They're, they're at an upper room, Jesus and his 12 disciples. Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve for the Lord's Supper. It's, it's also the Jewish Passover. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Doesn't it make you wonder if maybe Judas' heart started racing a little bit, that he would say that that night? It does me. They were very sad because they were clueless. And they began to say one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. See, they would fall away that night. They would run away. But they had faith in him as God and Savior, even though they were weak. But Judas was dark. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. John says, Jesus even said, I'm going to dip this into the... the uh, the bitter herb, and I'm going to hand it to the one. I will sop it and hand it to him. 
The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, all the prophecies that I will go and suffer. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, one of the twelve who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so, which means, yes, it's you, and you admitted it by asking the question. If you, if you harmonize the gospel text, John 13 says, Satan entered Judas's heart about this same moment, and he got up and left. Jesus said, what you must do, go and do quickly. And then Jesus gave the Lord's Supper. Jesus knew all along. In John 6, which, which happened several months before his, this evening and his, this holy week of his life, Jesus said, I have chosen you 12. Because people were leaving Jesus. They didn't believe his sayings that they had to believe in him solely to get to heaven. And the people were leaving him, and he said, do you want to go away? And Peter said, no, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus said, I have chosen you, and no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And I have chosen you to be my disciples, except one of you is a devil. That was months earlier. On Tuesday, before Thursday night here, Judas, on his own initiative, went and found the chief priests and Sadducees, leaders of the Sanhedrin, and he said, what will you pay me if I turn him over to you when the crowds are not around? He made an offer. I mean, they made an offer after he said that. 30 pieces of silver. Now, if you, if you had a, a quarter to a 50-cent piece of solid silver and you had 30 of them, in their day and age, be pretty heavy, wouldn't it? If I'd have planned far enough ahead, I'd have brought a bag of quarters, held it up, and showed you how heavy it was or how big it was. Judas kept the money for the whole group of disciples. He could kind of hide it in the backpack or the side satchel along with the rest of the money, but it was his money, 30 pieces of silver. It was heavy, though. There's no bank he could go deposit maybe hit it somewhere for a while but he's having to go to lengths since Tuesday night to hide his plot and his plan you would think if a parent says to a son do you have anything to tell me that that son would recognize both the sternness and the love of a parent trying to release them from their dastardly deed right Judas is a grown man. He knows that Jesus is reaching out to him, not just calling him out to shame him, but calling him out to get him free from that. And what does it say happened? Satan entered his heart, and he went away, and he went back to the people that had paid him, and he said, I, I, I know where he's going to go pray tonight, and there won't be crowds around, so you won't have to worry about making a scene you can arrest him and bring him in privately when I take, him to you, take you to him. And then you, you can put him on trial and you can tell the world that he cursed against the temple and against Moses. That's what you, he, he could have that conversation with them. 
And Jesus knew all along. Go to that picture, Peter. What does God think about lying? Is it, is it as innocuous as we try to make it? Well, let's just, let's just kind of take a walk through the Bible. There are a few things in the Psalms and Proverbs that God says he detests. In, in Proverbs 22, he says, I detest lying lips. They are an ab- abomination to me. God is in the business of the truth, right? In John 8, when Jesus has Jews say, they've already been plotting that they want to get rid of him by death, killing him or having somebody kill him. Jesus says, why are you trying to kill me if you say that you believe, you know, you're a follower of mine or a follower of God? And they said, you're possessed by a demon. You say we're trying to kill you. And Jesus said, they said, we have a father. He's Abraham. And Jesus said, no, the devil is your father because the devil's been a murderer from the beginning and he's been a liar and he started out with lies and you are lying in the old testament when joshua had a failure at the battle of ai there was a man remember his name achan who had disobeyed the lord and hid so that's lying the treasures that he stole from the bounty or the booty of, of the, the war at Jericho. Remember how Joshua brought him out of the crowd after they casted lots from first by tribe and then by clan and then by family and then by him. And he said, give glory to God, my son. Tell us the truth. And when Achan told the truth that he had stolen but had lied about it, he and his whole family were stoned to death. How does God think? What does he think about lying? What about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? They, all they did was they gave an offering at church and said it was the whole price for which they had sold a piece of property when it was actually only part of it. But they gave a gift, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so what did Peter say? How did Satan so enter your heart that you thought you could get away with lying to the Holy Spirit? And Ananias died right there. And then Sapphira came in and lied the same lie, and she died right there. What does God think about lying? In the book of Revelation, in the very last page of your Bible, it's Revelation 22. He says, God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the same, and he will welcome all of his people who trust and believe in him into heaven. But outside of heaven are the adulterers, the murderers, the cowards, and the liars. So what does God think about lying? God is, his commodity is the truth. And if we are like Judas, we could be sitting in church among his disciples for years in the presence of Jesus, and yet we are living a lie 
because we are not truly repentant of our sin or any sin, we can be lost forever. That's what God thinks about lying. Um, what is repentance? It's not this. Yes, Lord, I know I speed sometimes. That's not repentance. That's lying. That's acting like you have a heart that's warm toward God when actually you're stone cold. To be honest with God is to divorce yourself from all evil and any evil as it comes to your recognition every single time. To mourn and to be sorrowful and to be willing to let God lead you whatever it takes to fight the fight of faith and not to lie to him as if you're some super spiritual person because you say, yay God, pass the food, I'm glad I got a good church. See, Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, is called Ashes for the honest, gut-wrenching beginning of Lent where we learn to be honest with God. We're not going to say with Judas sitting at the table, well, surely you don't mean me. Yeah, it's you. You know, Jesus was doling out observations that all of them needed that night. He did say, one of you will betray me. Right after this in your Bible, he says, and Peter, you will deny that you even know me three times. And then he, he had said in that context to all of them, all of you will what? Fall away on account of me. Jesus knew all along. He knows every single sin that you commit. There's not any of them that you can hide. You can hide it from your parents, you can hide it from your friends, your pastor, your wife, your husband, but you cannot hide it from Jesus. He sees all of it. He knows all along. And it's by his mercy that he doesn't blurt it out like he did Judas to everybody else. It's excruciating to uh, deal with the guilt and shame of our sins, to say it is me, but it is so holy to do that. It's something that Judas couldn't bear. But God wants you to be able to bear it. In fact, um, did you know that there is a vain uh, nomenclature for people who will commit suicide to avoid going to jail or being shamed by the living through their sins coming out? You can look it up. It's called honor suicide. What a... a a paradox because there's no honor in committing suicide and there's no honor in, avo in avoiding the shame because now you have the shame of your suicide added to what already comes out anyway. But people might want to call it that because they're people like Judas. I mean, how does Jesus love somebody like Judas? What a, a dastardly person he was. But he did love him. That's why he called him out. Did you know that when you dip, the, when you're at a, in an Eastern home in the ancient times, if you dip the bread and in, at the beginning of a meal into a, a sop and you hand it to a person that you're saying that they are your honored guest, he's sitting right next to Jesus and he's 
giving it to him as his honored guest? You might say, and I, I think I would say it too, well, what about the words, it would be better for him if he hadn't been born? Wasn't Jesus kind of saying, go to hell? <laughs> no. Jesus knew everything all along what, would happen to Ju- what had happened in Judas' life, and Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. He didn't say that he willed it. He knew that it would. Because Judas was completely an unbeliever. While he dressed and for church every Saturday and went around and hung around with Jesus. But he was an unbeliever in his heart. He was a fake. He didn't have any faith. And Jesus knew he would keep that unbelief until the end. But he wouldn't stop Jesus from reaching out. Any more than it wouldn't stop Jesus to reach out to Pilate who said what? What is truth? But that's another sermon, another night. Right? He had unbelievers all around him, and Judas was one of them. Peter, on the other hand, he was a believer. A weak one that thought he was strong, but he was a believer. You might say, well, what about Judas? I mean, he, he, you remember what he did with the 30 pieces of silver? He was conscience-stricken, and he went to the, 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 the words of Jesus, and it's probably ringing in his head uh, that, that, you know, you are going to betray me, and it were better for you if you hadn't been born. In another place in the, in the story, um, a friend of mine will pick up his heel and strike it against me. And he went and he said to the people, the, the leaders of the Jewish temple, I have betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what is that to us? That's blood money. We can't take it back. In other words, you take the blame. (laughs) And he threw all that money in the temple and he went away and did what? He killed himself. No honor in that honor suicide. You see, it's it's not the betrayal. It's not the lying. And it's not the suicide that condemned Judas. It's the unbelief. It's the unbelief that led to the betrayal. It's the unbelief that led to the lying. It's the unbelief that led to the suicide. And that's why it was better for him if he had not been born. Because hell is real. You don't have to pay for any sins when you repent and divorce yourself of them and you believe in Jesus. But if you don't, you pay for every sin. And imagine going to hell paying for the sin of betraying Jesus. But he didn't go to hell because of the betrayals, because of the unbelief. Peter, on the other hand, who I would wager, sinned just as big as Judas. I mean, to deny that you even know your friend, cursing and swearing, that means calling God, God damn me if I really know him. Peter wept bitterly when Jesus came out of that courtroom and looked at him, right? Peter had repentance mixed with his sinfulness and his doubts. But not Judas. He was a dyed-in-the-wool unbeliever. But Jesus loved him. Now, why do I say it that way? Because I'm concerned about you in two, on two ways, I'm, just as I'm concerned about me. I'm concerned that you would think it's okay to sin and fake it around your brothers and sisters or around the Lord and 
Ash Wednesday and Lent is about coming clean. But I'm also afraid that you would be led into despair because you look in your life and you go, I betrayed an innocent man. But you look at it like an unbeliever who doesn't believe that Jesus' sacrifice and his love covers over your sins. And they do. We all killed Jesus. Judas, Peter, Pilate, the Jews, the Gentiles, the Americans, and you and me. But he went there because he loves us just the way he loves Judas. You know that night when I said he, he grabbed that piece of bread and he sopped it and he gave it to the honored guest? After Judas left, do you remember what it, what, when, when Dylan was reading what, what Jesus did next? He gave them, in the middle of the Jewish Passover, something better than sopping and giving it to Judas. He gave them the Lord's Supper. Sop. Supper. He gives you the same love that he gave Judas. How could Jesus love Judas? Because Jesus is Jesus. That's how he could love Judas. And that's how he can love you. And that's how you can come up here and struggling as you are with your sin and take the Lord's Supper. And every time he says, I'm your Savior, take this for the forgiveness of your sins. Because he loves you that much. And he wants you to believe in that love. He does want you to weep bitterly over your sins when he shows them to you, even if it's not with a tear. He wants you to be honest. When you look at the cross at, during Lent, he wants you to be thankful and sad and happy all at the same time because that's true faith. Repentance is contrition and belief in a Savior who loves you. And how you reflect it. These three words, honesty with God and honesty with people. Surely that doesn't mean that you have to trust sinners with all of your dirty laundry. But you do have to trust God with all of it. Be honest with people. Be honest with God. It means to be humble. I've talked a little bit tonight about looking down on Judas. I even called him a couple names. But I cannot judge Judas. You can't either. You can't judge anyone that way. You can't look down on people. You're no better. You're made out of the same sinful lumber that Adam and Eve made them out of. So you stop yourself short of comparing yourself to the infidel or the neighbor. But you live with hope also. You're honest, you're humble, but you also have hope. Because your hope is not in your performance. Your hope is in Jesus' performance. You don't have to live your life buried by your regrets. You don't have to, life is not about looking back and being able to not have any regrets. Life is about looking forward not to have any worries. Because Jesus can make even the things you regret work out for the good. If you're a believer. Amen.